Welcome to Jesus is the Voice of Truth. Cultivating a lifestyle of generosity will transform every aspect of your life, marriage, family, relationship, and your finances. Join Michael Montoya from Jesus for Life Ministries as he reveals the truth to experiencing God's abundance and grace every day. Welcome to Jesus is the Voice of Truth. My name is Michael Montoya. I'm a teacher and an evangelist, and we have a really good one for you today. It's called the Christian Fellowship. So you can turn your Bibles to 1 John chapter 1. We'll be talking about verses 1 to 4 at the beginning. So chapter 1, verse 1, That which was from the beginning, which we have heard, which we have seen with our eyes, which we have looked at our hands, have touched. This we proclaim concerning the word of life. The doctoral foundation of all true fellowship is in the person of Lord Jesus Christ. There can be no true fellowship with those who hold false views concerning him. The first two verses teach his eternity and the reality of his incarnation. The same one who existed from all eternity with God the Father came down into the world as a real man. The reality of his incarnation is indicated by the fact that the apostles heard him, saw him with their own eyes, gazed upon him with deep mediation, and actually handled him. The word of life was not a mere passing illusion, but was a real person in a body of flesh. Let's look at chapter 1, verse 2. The life appeared. We have seen it and testified to it, and we proclaim to you the eternal life, which was with the Father and has appeared to us. Verse 2 confirms that the one who was with the Father and whom John calls that eternal life became flesh and dwelt amongst us and was seen by the apostles. I'm glad that my knowledge of eternal life is not built on the speculations of philosophers or even theologians, but of the unimpeachable testimony of those who heard, saw, gazed at, and handled him in whom it was incarnate. It is not merely a lovely dream, but solid fact, carefully observed and accurately recorded facts. Let's look at chapter 1, verse 3. We proclaim to you what we have seen and heard, so that you also may have fellowship with us, and our fellowship is with the Father and with His Son, Jesus Christ. The apostles did not keep this wonderful news as a secret, and neither should we. They realize that the basis of all fellowship is found here, and so they declare it freely and fully. All who receive the testimony of the apostles have fellowship with the Father with His Son, Jesus Christ, and also with the apostles, with all the other believers. How wonderful that guilty sinners should ever be brought into fellowship with God the Father and His Son, Jesus Christ. And yet, this is the very truth which we have here. His Son, Jesus Christ. Jesus and Christ are one in the same person, and that person is the Son of God. Jesus is the name given to Him at birth, and therefore speaks of perfect humanity. Christ is the name that speaks of him as God's anointed one, the Messiah. Therefore, in the name Jesus Christ, we have witness to his humanity and to his deity. Jesus Christ is very God of very God and very man of very man. Chapter 1, verse 4. We write this to make our joy complete. But why does John thus write concerning the subject of fellowship? The reason is that our joy may be full. John realizes that the world is not capable of, of providing true and lasting joy for the human heart. 
This joy can only come through proper relationship with our Lord Jesus Christ. When a person is in fellowship with God and with Lord Jesus, he has the deep seat joy that cannot be disturbed by earthly circumstances. Let's look at the second part of this message. Means of maintaining fellowship. From chapter 1 verse 5 to chapter 2 verse 2, let's start with chapter 1 verse 5. This is the message we have heard from him and declared to you, God is light. In him there is no darkness at all. Fellowship describes a situation where two or more persons share things in common. It is a communion or a partnership John now undertakes to instruct his readers as to the requirements for fellowship with God. In doing so, he appeals to the teachings of Lord Jesus Christ, and he was here on the earth. Although the Lord is not quoted as having used these exact words, the sum and substance of his teaching was that God is light, and in him is no darkness at all. By this, he meant that God is absolutely holy, absolutely righteous, and absolutely pure. God cannot look with favor on any form of sin. Nothing is hidden with him. But all things are naked and open to the eyes of him to whom we must give account. Hebrews chapter 4.13 Let's look at chapter 1 verse 6. If we claim to have fellowship with him and yet walk in the darkness, we lie and do not live out the truth. Now it follows that in order for a person to be, have fellowship with God, there can be no hiding of sin. Light and darkness cannot exist in a person's life at the same time any more than can exist together in the room of a home. If a man is walking in darkness, he is not in fellowship with God. A man who says that he has fellowship with him and habitually walks in darkness was never saved at all. Let's look at chapter 7, verse 7. But if we walk in light as he is the light, we have fellowship with one another. And the blood of Jesus Christ, his son, purifies us from all sin. On the other hand, if one walks in the light, then he can have fellowship with the Lord Jesus and with his fellow Christians. As far as John is concerned in this message, a man is either in the light or in the darkness. If he is in the light, he is a member of God's family. If he is in the darkness, he does not have anything in common with God because there is no darkness in God at all. Those who walk in the light, that is, those who are Christians, have fellowship with one another. And the blood of Jesus Christ continually cleanses them from all sin. All God's forgiveness is based on the blood of His Son that was shed at Calvary. That blood provides God with a righteous basis on which He can forgive sins. And as we sing, the blood will never lose its power. It has lasting power to cleanse us. Of course, believers must confess before they can receive forgiveness. But John deals with that in verse 9. Let's look at chapter 1, verses 8. If we claim to be without sin, we deceive ourselves and the truth is not in us. Then again, fellowship with God requires that we acknowledge the truth concerning ourselves. For instance, to deny that we have a sinful nature means self-deception and untruthfulness. Notice that John makes a distinction between sin in verse 8 and sins in verse 9. Sin refers to our corrupt evil nature. Sins refers to evils that we have done. Actually, what we are is a lot worse than anything that we have ever done. But praise the Lord, Jesus Christ died for our sins and our sin. Conversion does not mean the eradication of sin nature. Rather, it means the implanting of new divine nature with power to live victoriously over indwelling sin. Let's look at chapter 1 verse 9. If we confess our sins, 
He is faithful and just to forgive us of our sins and purify us from all unrighteousness. In order for us to walk day by day in fellowship with God with our other fellow believers, we must confess our sins, sins of omission, sins of commission, sins of thought, sins of act, secret sins, and public sins. We must drag them out into the open before God, call them by their names, take sides with God against them, and forsake them. Yes, true confession involves forsaking of sins. He who covers his sins will not prosper, but who, whoever confesses and forsakes them will have mercy. That's Proverbs 28, 13. When we do that, we can claim the promise that God is faithful and just to forgive. He is faithful in the sense that he has promised to forgive and will abide by his promise. He is just to forgive because he has found a righteous basis for forgiveness in the substitutionary work of our Lord Jesus Christ on the cross. And not only does he guarantee to forgive, but also to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. The forgiveness John speaks about here is parental, not judicial. Judicial forgiveness means forgiveness from the penalty of sin, which the sinner receives when he believes on the Lord Jesus Christ. It is called judicial because it is granted by God acting as judge. But what about sins which a person commits after conversion? As far as the penalty is concerned, the price has already been paid by the Lord Jesus on the cross of Calvary. But as far as fellowship in the family of God is concerned, the sinning saint needs parental forgiveness. That is the forgiveness of his father. He obtains it by confessing his sins. We need judicial forgiveness only once. That takes care of the penalty of all sins, past, present, and future. But we need parental forgiveness throughout our Christian life. When we confess our sins, we must believe on the authority of the word of God that he forgives us. And if he forgives us, we must be willing to forgive ourselves. Let's look at chapter 1, verse 10. If we claim that we have not sinned, we make him out to be a liar, and his word is not in us. Finally, in order to be fellowship with God, we must not deny that we have committed acts of sin. God has stated over and over in his word that all have sinned. To deny this is to make God a liar. It is a flat contradiction of his word and complete denial of the reason the Lord Jesus Christ suffered, bled, and died. Thus, we see the fellowship with God does not require lives of sinlessness, but rather requires that all sins should be brought out in His presence, confessed and forsaken. It means that we must be absolutely honest about our condition and that there should be no hypocrisy or hiding of what we really are. Let's look at chapter 2, verses 1. My dear children, I write this to you so that you will not sin. But if anybody does sin... We have an advocate with the Father, Jesus Christ, the Righteous One. John gives us God's perfect standard for His people and His gracious provision in the event of failure. The little children reverse to all the members of the family of God. God's perfect standard is then set forth in the words, These things I write to you, that you may not sin. Because God is perfect, His standard for His people is absolute perfection. He would not be God if he said, These things I write to you so that you sin just as little as you can. God cannot condone sin in the least degree. And so he sets perfection before us as a goal. The Lord Jesus did this with the woman who he caught in the act of adultery. He said, Neither do I condemn you. Go and sin no more. At the same time, the Lord knows our frame. He remembers that we are dust. 
And so he has graciously made his provision to us in the event of failure. This is expressed in the words, if anyone sins, we must have an advocate with the Father, Jesus Christ the righteous. An advocate is one who comes to the side of another person in time of need in order to help. This is exactly what Lord Jesus does for us when we sin. He immediately comes to us in order to restore us to fellowship with himself. Notice that it does not say, if any man confess his sins. As our advocate, the Lord Jesus seeks to bring us to the place where we do confess and forsake our sin. There is something very wonderful in this verse which we should not overlook. It says, and if anyone sin, we have an advocate with the Father. It does not say with God, but rather with the Father. He is still our Father even if we sin. This reminds us of the blessed truth that through sin in a believer's life breaks fellowship. It does not break relationship. When a person is born again, he becomes a child of God. God is henceforth his father, and nothing can ever affect that relationship. A birth is something that cannot be undone. A son may disgrace his father, but he is still a son by the fact of birth. Notice that our advocate is Jesus Christ, the righteous. It is good to have a righteous defender. When Satan brings some accusation against a believer, the Lord Jesus can point to his finished work on Calvary and say, Charges to my account. Let's look at chapter 2, verses 2. He is the atoning sacrifice of our sins, and not only for ours, but also for the sins of the whole world. And the Lord Jesus is not only our advocate, but he is also the propitiation for our sins. This means that by dying for us, he freed us from the guilt of our sins and restored us to God by providing the needed satisfaction and by removing every barrier to fellowship. God can show mercy to us because Christ has satisfied the claims of justice. It is not often that an advocate or a lawyer pays for its client's sins, yet that is what the Lord did for us. And the most remarkable thing, he paid for them by the sacrifice of himself. John adds that he is a satisfying sacrifice, not only for our sins only, but also for the whole world. This does not mean that the whole world is saved. Rather, it means that the work of our Lord Jesus Christ is sufficient in value to save all the world. But it is only efficient to save those who actually put their trust in him. It is because his work is sufficient for all men and women that the gospel can be offered to all the world. But if all men and women were automatically saved, there would be no need of preaching the gospel to them. It is interesting that the superscription on the cross was written in Hebrew, the language of God's chosen people, and in Greek and Latin, the principal languages of then known world. It was thus proclaimed to all the world that Jesus Christ is a sufficient Savior for all men and women everywhere. I'd like to finish by giving everyone a chance to know Jesus better. Make Jesus the Lord of your life. Prayer of salvation is our first real conversation with God. The prayer of salvation is the most important prayer you'll ever pray. When you're ready to become a Christian, you're ready to have our first real conversation with God. And these are the components. We acknowledge that Jesus Christ is God and that he came to the earth as a man in order to live the sinful life that we could not live that he died in our place so that we would not have to pay the penalty we deserve. We confess our past life of sin, living for ourselves 
and not obeying God. We admit that we are ready to trust Jesus Christ as our Savior and our Lord. We ask Jesus to come into our heart, take up residence there, and begin living through us. It begins with faith in God. When we pray the prayer of salvation, we're letting God know we believe that His Word is true. By the faith that He has given us, we choose to believe in Him. The Bible tells us that without faith, it is impossible to please Him, for he who comes to God must believe that He is, and that He is a rewarder of those who diligently seek Him. Hebrews 11:6. So when we pray, asking God for the gift of salvation, we're exercising our free will to acknowledge that we believe in Him. That demonstration of faith pleases God because we have freely chosen to know Him. We are confessing our sin. When we pray the prayer of salvation, we're admitting that we've sinned. As the Bible says of everyone, saved through Christ alone, for all have sinned and fell short of the glory of God. That's Romans 3.23. To sin is simply falling short of the mark, as an arrow that does not quite hit the bullseye. The glory of God that we fell short of is found only in Jesus Christ. For it is God who commanded light to shine out of darkness, who has shown in our hearts to give the light of knowledge of the glory of God in the face of Jesus Christ. 2 Corinthians 4, 6. So the prayer of salvation then recognizes that Jesus Christ is the only human who ever lived without sin. For he made him who knew no sin to be sin for us, that we might become the righteousness of God in him. 2 Corinthians 5, 21. What we are doing is we are professing faith in Christ as Savior and Lord. With Christ as our standard of perfection, we're now acknowledging Him as God. Agreeing with the Apostle John that in the beginning was the Word, Jesus Christ, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was in the beginning with God. All things were made through Him, and without Him nothing was made that was made. John chapter 1 verses 1 to 3. Because God could only accept a sinless sacrifice because He knew that we could not possibly accomplish that. He sent His Son to die for us and pay the eternal price. For God so loved the world that He gave His only begotten Son that whoever believes in Him should not perish but have everlasting life. That's John 3.16. Listen, if you want to say it today and mean it with your heart, don't wait a moment longer to start your new life with Jesus Christ. Remember, this prayer is not a magical formula. You are simply expressing your heart to God. And if you'd like to do that, pray this prayer with me. Father, I know that I have broken your laws and my sins have separated me from you. I am truly sorry and I now want to turn away from my past sinful life towards you. Please forgive me and help me avoid sinning again. I believe that your son, Jesus Christ, died for my sins was resurrected from the dead, is alive, and hears my prayers today. I invite Jesus to become the Lord of my life, to rule and reign in my heart from this day forward. Please send your Holy Spirit to help me obey you and to do your will for the rest of my life. In Jesus' name I pray, amen. So now you prayed this and you're probably thinking, I prayed it, now what happens? If you prayed this prayer of salvation with true conviction in your heart, you are now a follower of Jesus Christ. This is a fact. Whether or not you feel any different, you are. Some religious systems may lead you to believe that you might feel something like a warm glow, a tingling, or some mystical experience. In fact, you might and you might not. If you have prayed the prayer of salvation and you meant it, you are now a follower of Jesus Christ. The Bible tells us that your eternal salvation is secure. That if you confess with your mouth the Lord Jesus and you believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. 
That's Romans 10.9. So welcome to the family of God. We encourage you to find a local Bible-based church where you can fellowship with other believers and grow in the knowledge of God through His Word, the Bible. This ministry is listener-supported. If you feel that you have benefited from this message from God, please consider helping to support this ministry and give a gift of any amount so we can continue to spread the Word of God through the power of the Holy Spirit on this platform. Go to JesusIsTheVoiceOfTruth.com and may the Lord richly bless you, your family, and friends. Until next time, God bless. And remember, Jesus is the Voice of Truth. I hope you enjoyed today's program. If you have any prayer requests or questions about Jesus is the Voice of Truth, we encourage you to email us at voiceoftruth411 at gmail.com or visit our website at jesusisthevoiceoftruth.com. Thank you for joining us today, and we look forward to being with you next time. Have a blessed day.